It's the California Wine Country Podcast with Steve Jackson and Dan Berger. We taste, we laugh, we learn. It's time for California Wine Country on this Wednesday with Dan Berger, our special guest today, the return of the great Carol Shelton. It's all brought to you by Bottle Barn. They were recently named one of the best wine shops in the entire United States of America. I'll second that. By Wine Enthusiast Magazine. And uh, they always have uh, the biggest selection and the best prices, not just on wine, but on spirits and craft beer, too. Uh, you should download their new mobile app. Uh, you can subscribe to their email list, get the jump on specials, sales, and all the latest in-store tastings and other events that they do now. Every day, there are new medal winners from the San Francisco Chronicle wine competition arriving at Bottle Barn. Bottle Barn, in business since 1990, voted best place to buy wine in the Press Democrat every year since 2012. Go to BottleBarn.com. All right, uh, Carol Shelton, one of my favorite people in wine country. Great to see you again. Great to see you too, Steve. Thanks, I appreciate uh, the compliment. Let's talk about your history because it's pretty fascinating. <laughs> I, and I know on the website, really it seems like aromas really got you uh, into becoming a winemaker. Explain, yeah. Explain that and the whole history. Well, I think every human being has one sense that dominates their life. So musicians obviously are dominated by their ears and um, probably massage therapists are dominated by their tactile sense and I'm dominated by my nose and it generates more memories of my childhood and everything else. So when I was in school hoping to study poetry and and uh, maybe teach language. I took a tour of a winery, which I'd done yearly as a kid, but I finally, it, it, something sank in, and I was touring Sebastiani, and we were in that tank room where the barrels are permeated with red wine, and walking into that room, yeah, just, I, I said, I want to smell this. I've not only been there, but we've broadcast the show live from there oh, cool. a few times. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been there in many years, but um, I just said, I want to smell this at my job for the rest of my life, and I do. <laughs> And now I do. So you started at UC Davis in 74. You were undeclared. You had an underdeclared major. And then that uh, trip to Sebastiani is when... Uh, Pushed me over the edge. Yeah, when you decided to become a winemaker. And then yeah. how did you become a winemaker? Did you go back to UC Davis? I was still at Davis. Oh, and, you were at the time. Um, yeah. yeah, my parents said, we're not going to pay for a liberal arts degree because they don't have jobs. Poets don't have jobs don't pay pay their bills and poets don't eat was my mom's favorite phrase <laughs> so i started looking around she said look at the food profession because you'll always have food you're working on and um you're good with science and you're creative at the same time so it was the best combination of food and science i mean of of uh, the arts and science and um i found the wine major and just said wow i've come home and it was it was the perfect blending for me. So I graduated with my bachelor's in '78, which was a very small graduating class of about 20 people, and there were only two women. And uh, nowadays the classes are bigger, 30 or 40 people at least, and probably a quarter at least are women. I'd say a lot of women winemakers out there, and a lot of kind of groupings of us as uh, roundtables of women winemakers that solve problems together and stuff like that. And when in Sonoma County did you begin making wine? 
Um, when I left Davis, I was actually at Mondavi first in Napa. I betrayed Sonoma County, but I'd never really... We under- love Napa. Oh, well, yeah, okay. It's that four-letter valley over there, you know. <laughs> I don't waste a lot of time over there, but um, Sonoma's really where it's at. So I started at, at Buena Vista Winery in 1980, and I was fortunate enough to have worked with Andre Chalichev there, who was the great... Dean of California winemakers and made all the improvements to our technology that brought us up to the level where we were able to beat the French at their own game right. in that bottle shock movie, you know, The Judgment of Paris. Yeah. And um, we he brought in stainless steel tanks and pure yeast cultures and new French oak barrels, all kinds of things that just weren't known in California at the time and had us back in dirt floors and redwood tanks and those pl- those things have a place, but to make consistently good wines, you need to upgrade a little, and that's what Andre did. So, I was really blessed to have the opportunity to work with him, and he has really been a, a a mentor, even though he's long since passed. But has given me that attention to detail that I think raises my wines up a notch. They're not your standard everyday plonk. It, there's hopefully an element of better than that. And uh, it helps me age them better. I, my wines age, even the whites age really well in the, in the bottle. Um, I'm fanatical about oxygen because Andre taught me that and things like that. So um, acid balance, things like that. Andre's name comes up all the time and has over the last 15 years on this show. And it seems like every time the name comes up, the room gets quiet for a second. Yeah. And all our guests <laughs> kind of take a big... <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He Stories was, about him are legend. Oh, yeah. yeah. He would come into the lab and, and he'd be smoking heavily because he was afraid to stop smoking because he thought it would change his palate. So he would go over to the window, have, <laughs> stick his head out and his hand out and go a few puffs, leave the cigarette right on the edge of the window, come over and taste. And then he'd go back over and have a few puffs and come back over and taste. <laughs> he brought the whole cloud of his cigarette smoke with him. It wasn't like... None of us could smell him, but um, <laughs> and then he also he was very romantic in that sort of French-Russian way that he had because he was born in Russia and raised in France and trained in viticulture and enology in France. Um, but he would come into the lab and he was about four foot ten, four foot eleven, and I'm like maybe barely five one. So we were of a size, and uh, he said, "So how are my ladies in the lab?" and I'd look around, and I'm the only female in the room, and I'm fine. And he goes, no, 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 no. The ladies are out in the cellar aging in the barrels, and the girls are out in the vineyard. So he, he just had this way of putting the romance into Quickly, things. how old was he when he passed? He was pretty 91. old. 91. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, let me turn it to Dan Berger and talking about uh, Carol Shelton and her wines and such. I discovered Carol's wines when she was making them for Windsor Vineyards before uh, she uh, broke away and opened her own property. And she was winning all the gold medals at all the wine competitions. And and all the other winemakers in California were saying, well, why are these wines so good? And I said, yeah, why are these wines so good and so reasonably priced? Yeah. And then uh, Carol was the one behind all this. And she was making wines from grape varieties that very other few other people were making wines from you you were out there doing stuff that nobody else was touching and you got really fortunate because somebody didn't want those varieties and you really maximized their flavors yeah 
Thanks. It was, it was a, a really good training ground for me because what I really became was a blend master. You know, I could do what um, a whole whole playground of stuff that right now, because it's my dollar <laughs> paying for everything, I'm a little more cautious with how I spend my money. But um, with Windsor, I could do yeast trials and barrel trials and try new varieties, new blends, and uh, had a lot more freedom and was able to... Um, craft some really fun things. Carol, there's a line on your website in your About Us section that has leapt out at me because it's not what I would expect to see on a wine website. Mm-hmm. And this is how it goes. Based out of an industrial park in the city of Santa Rosa, Carol continues to meticulously handcraft her wines with a combination of experience, creativity, and passion. One wouldn't expect to see an industrial park but in Santa Rosa. There's a lot of people doing that. Yeah, in we'll the, talk about that. in that park well, these days. Kind of started actually with uh, the Lompoc Wine Ghetto down in Santa Barbara area, and people that we don't have enough money to have a big palatial, you know, estate winery in the middle of vineyards that we don't own. So, and the only way that I could actually control everything that was going on was to have a warehouse space that has it's a roll-up door warehouse, and there are five wineries in my business park, and, and some breweries, and a brewery. Too. My some Moonlight Brewing is stuff. in there, yeah. yeah, just in my park, and of course all over the place. There's there's Cooperage and and what used to be Plow, it's uh, Iron Ox, and there's all these other breweries in our neighborhood as well, and um, it's the less expensive way to go, you know. Sure, we got we got rent, and but we don't have property tax so much, and um, there's a lot of things that the landlord takes care of that. I don't have to deal with, and we're on city wastewater, so we have to process, very carefully process our waste. Um, we were actually told by the water, Santa Rosa Water District, that we're sort of the poster child of the right way to process water. Right on. Um, so that we keep the solids out of the storm drains and all that. It is California Wine Country with Dan Berger today, and our guest, the great Carol Shelton, from Carol Shelton Wines, and one of our iconic winemakers and wine people here in Sonoma County. Go to carolshelton.com to find out everything they're up to. And uh, Dan, any uh, as I said, and I do this all the time, we're in a break and the guests are talking to each other. And then I have to finally say, save it for the radio. So we're going to ask the same question. What's Fine. in this Coquille Blanc 2021 which makes it so interesting. Well, I think it's the combination of all the different varieties and the way that they are kind of harmoniously working together and not having one of them screaming out over the others. But um, What is Coquille Blanc? What does that mean? Co- it's a made-up name because it's a blend. <laughs> um, but the word Coquille in, in French means scallops or shellfish. Okay. And I, it's supposed to be Coquille, but oh, Americans don't say that. They see no. two L's and an E, and they're going to say Coquille, so of I course. say Coquille, whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's named after the scallop shells on my family's coat of arms for or shell ton. And the fact that it goes well with scallops doesn't hurt at all. Um, but it is a blend of mostly one vineyard called the Navarra's Vineyard down in Paso Robles. And it is Grenache Blanc predominantly as the leader. It sort of makes the skeleton of the blend, um, which is bony and hard and green apple-y. Um, by itself, it's kind of simple. It's almost like a Pinot Grigio or something, higher acid. Um, but then the Roussan, which by itself can be a little clumsy, a little too fat and oily, but it puts the flesh but in the blend, on the bones. It works. Yes. <clears throat> the two need each other very much. 
And then um, there's Viognier and dead a little bit of white floral perfume, subdued, because I don't like being like in an elevator with somebody wearing Charlie or some awful ungodly <laughs> 70s perfume. <laughs> they leave Charlie. and it stays. <laughs> Charlie. Wow. Boston to you. That's a hell of a take. <laughs> and then the, there's a little Marsan as One well. of the, the discoveries that I made back when I first discovered Carol was the fact that she could blend like mad. She's fabulous as a blender. And the reason is that she doesn't want one piece of the puzzle to be sticking out. She doesn't want this one thing red sticking out of there. So, I mean, it, when she when you say blend, it's a true blend, and she's a master at that. Yeah, I guess putting it on the bench, on the on the test bench, and, and, and doing all these little micro trials it, it is, is agonizingly difficult. I wouldn't be able to do it. I tried. It. I was involved in one at Mondavi some years ago, and it went me. I drove me nuts. But uh, it's not something that you can do on a. You have to do it over very many different days. Oh, you yeah. can't do it in one day, sure. Because your trials go back and forth. Your your nose changes. But what Carol does is pretty amazing to put a blend like this together so that there's a harmony from the very beginning of the wine till the very end. The last taste you taste is going to be. The signature of the wine that which goes with your food, and I agree with that completely. Uh, I mean, it's it's been like a whole process through my palate mm-hmm. from the beginning and the finish. Yeah, there was a lot going on in between, and the finish is lovely. Well, yeah, it's the acidity. You. Part of it is the acidity, so and the creaminess and the roundness. So, it's yeah. what's cool about it is to me. I like to make people think what they drink and not just slop it down. And if it was too sweet, it would just go on down your palate and you wouldn't remember. Right. But this wine is memorable. Every layer, and I'll just sit there and smell the thing for half an hour because there's so many things going on. And then you start tasting and it's just, I can't stop. Harry's, <laughs> Harry's our red wine guy, but uh, I, I'm sure you are enjoying this. I am, and I like the description round that you used. I don't think I've heard that before, mm-hmm. but it really does describe mm-hmm. this. It, it, it has a round feel to it. Very smooth, very even, mm-hmm. but it goes for a while. There's yeah. so much going on. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really complex wine. It's the roundness is hard-earned because uh, at, we barrel ferment, and I use seven different yeast strains, so every barrel is hand-inoculated or not, there's about 25% uninoculated, but then we stir every single barrel every week for about six or seven months. We're just coming up on, okay, maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. By the end of March, we might finish stirring. Hmm. And the cellar guys are cheering because it's a lot of work. <laughs> okay, this is called Coquille Blanc. Blanc. Mm-hmm. What year is this? 21. 2021. This is freaking lovely. Thank yeah. you. I have a Coquille Rouge to come up later, so we'll try that one. That's the Red Roan version of now we this. We've got the pink wine coming up. Yep, we do. Uh, so. Jan, do me a favor and cap the Coquille. For you. For you. So yes. I can take it home. Yes, well, thank you. It has a cork in it, so I'll give you the cork on it. Yep. <laughs> That's fine. There you go. All yours, uh, Steve. Bless you, Carol. <laughs> you That's bet. perfect. Oh, this so this, this rosé is, is fabulous. Thanks. So this is the yeah, wild thing. Yeah, tell us more thing. about this rosé. It's called the Wild Thing Rendezvous Rosé. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people look at it and they go, but, but, it's red. Well, no, not really. It's pink. But it's very dark pink. And uh, what people don't realize is those very, very pale rosés out there are the Provençal style. And that's only one style of many, many rosés styles throughout the world. So this is more similar to a Spanish or Italian rosato. 
which means it spends more time with the skins. All the flavors in the skin. You know, so those pale ones, you yeah. take the skins away right away, and there's no flavor. On this show, we've been talking for years and years and years about the greatness of rosé and Moet et Chandon, the very, very successful, unbelievably successful French company. Just yesterday, actually today, this morning early, or probably yesterday by this time, uh, just purchased a rosé producer in the south of France. And it's the first time that Moet and Chandon has ever purchased a rosé producer. Wow. wow. Interesting. All right, so, Carol, what makes this different? I mean, it's it's a lovely uh, rosé. I've just taken a sip. Thanks. But. Yeah, it's more the color of cranberry juice. Yes, and, uh, absolutely. I, I drink a lot of cranberry juice. As I love do cranberry. I, right. <laughs> so um, it's kind of hard to tell what's in my glass from time to time. But um, So this is predominantly Carignan in most years, but this is a 2021. And in that year, Carignan was very small crop across the state of California. So this in that year, I did a little pandemic pivot and I did 80% Zin and 20% Carignan versus the other way around. And it's from an organically grown vineyard up in Mendocino. So we pick it at lower or sugar, lower potential alcohol. And then I leave it on the skins for two days. And we just pump over <laughs> once a day and look at the color. And on the morning of the third day is when we start draining off juice. That's the reason for its dark, col- dark yeah. darker color. And the and more intense flavors because it got time to take the flavor out of the skin. Oh, man. Where the really pale ones, there's no flavor. I call them ghost rosés because they pass right through me like I never had them. And they pass right through <laughs> Not the skins, this one. too. No, this is an amazing no. rosé. It's dude. like red wine, yeah. except yeah. that in this case, there's a richness to it that you don't see in rosé very often. Boy, it's delicious. Thank you. Oh, man. I made it to the cover of the Wine Spectator a couple vintages ago, and um, this particular vintage, where I think we're down to about, oh, I think it's around 50 cases left at this point. We have it on a 50% off sale, which is why I'm showing you the 21 instead of the 22. Before we get into this, talking about this Zen, explain to people, besides the website, where they can get your wines. Or is it just the website these days? Oh, no. It's not just the website. Your sponsor, Bottle Barn, is a great place. (laughs) But we're in all the Oliver stores. We're actually in most Safeways around the area. Um, We're about to make our breakthrough into Rayleigh's because we were in Rayleigh's for a while, and my distributor had a big price dispute with them. But we're back in now. Um, You will not find us in Trader Joe's or Cost Plus. But um, some of the more reputable... uh, retailers around the area tides and um i think who else is uh big john's uh you know oakville grocery and i'm sure lots of restaurants quite a few yeah especially with the wild thing because it's a very approachable price point for by the glass we're so lucky to live in sonoma county to be able to access the carol shelton wines because these are really very very special thank you yes they are and uh, this is in carol talk about this is in so this is our 20? signature wine. Yeah, it's a 2020 Wild Thing Zin. And Wild Thing, the name comes from the fact that it is fermented by wild yeast only. That means that the yeast on the skins do all the fermenting. I don't add any. 
and it's organically grown, which is very helpful for those yeasts living on the skins. If if pesticides were added, they kill fungi like mildew and mold, but yeast are fungi. So it would kill off quite a bit of the yeast on the skins. What I get as a benefit for relying on those wild yeast is that they're a lot softer, makes a wine that is a lot softer and rounder, pumps up the fruit quite a bit. There's almost a tiny bit of a floral quality to the fruit. Oh, this is yeah. unbelievable. And Dan's been... <laughs> Quacking about it for uh, and my, 15 minutes, how much he loves this scent. In my wine competition in December, this was the sweepstakes winner for all the red wine. This was the best red wine in the entire competition. And to me, that is the real achievement oh, because we have primarily winemakers as judges. This stuff is like you cannot – if you order a bottle of this and you have a spouse – you better have two bottles. <laughs> well, if you go to some place like Lagar here in town that in was, Santa Rosa, they have half bottles. That was a good bottles. quote. I'm going to get a T-shirt made. This is Dan Berger says. Need two bottles. So Lagar has Wild Thing on their list. And then what they find is that people want to get a second bottle, but they're afraid. So they get a, a bottle, full bottle, and then they get a half bottle. Oh, you're making half bottles of Oh, this? yeah, half bottles of I don't know thing. what the purpose of that is, just well, buy two bottles. <laughs> there are people that are being cautious for I, their health, yeah. but there are people yeah, like, back off, like Ligar hey, likes Steve, to have. Steve likes to ask me how long it will age in, in my house in about... 43 minutes, it's gone. <laughs> I think that's standard for most California and this households. Is a 2020 Zin. This stuff is. And you wouldn't uh, age it for all that time? I would age it for a year because I think it would get better in a year. But once you're but past tonight, a year. we'll put it in the uh, well, decanter. This, this, and if this bottle is available to not me. Not claimed by Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have it this evening with uh, you can whatever, have my Boca Burger or whatever it is. <laughs> I don't even care what dinner is. This is my dinner. <laughs> that is lovely. Thank you. Carol, Thanks. Yeah, I usually make this wine to not have to age right away because um, it is actually very soft and very texturally pleasing as the long finish. But um, if you do age it, it will improve. But I call it the Alice in Wonderland wine. You know how she wandered through Wonderland and she kept getting little bottles that said, drink me. That's what this one needs, a in, little in tag that says drink me. In a, in a, in a very uh, emotional way for me, this reminds me a little bit of the 1970s of Zinfandels from back then. Mm. Reminds me of some of the Ridge wines or some of the Souverain wines. This is, it's got all the fruit that you want, and, and why lose that fruit by <laughs> aging it for any longer than a year or two? Mm-hmm. Just just drink it up. It's fabulous wine. <laughs> Thanks. So it's blended with Carignan and Petit Syrah, which each bring their own parts to the party, but the Zin is really the core of the blend. And they do a beautiful job of farming. Their vines are about 67 years old this year. Old, dry-farmed vines on the hillside up at north of Ukiah. So. Carol Shelton, it's always a pleasure when you come in. Thanks for having me on, Steve.